Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Inside the Cage. I am your host, Terrell Campbell. And I am your man, Jerome Span. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you are familiar, then you already know this is the home of MMA, pro wrestling, and entertainment. We talk about all those things and quite such. And then, well, like I say, although this is the preseason, eventually our very own Jerome Span will be covering a little sport known as... Football. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So let's go ahead and get strapped in, get locked in. Jerome, it's like I've always told people. We like to do fighter profiles from time to time on this show. And I picked one of my personal favorite fighters to do a fighter profile on. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's fight, fighter profile is on Quentin Ram Page Jackson. And... When you look at Quentin Rampage Jackson, I mean, Jerome, I have to ask you a serious question. Do you feel that he has get, gotten the respect he truly deserves? Um, that That's a hard thing to say because he's gotten a lot of fame in the in popular society, right? Like his name is pretty well known just by the average person. Um, his MMA career also helped him cross over and do things like the AT movie. Um, so I, it's hard to say, but I think if we're just talking the average MMA fan, I don't think he is because I think a lot of people downplay him because of the losses to the axe murderer. But I think what so many are discounting is the fact of the matter that Rampage throughout his career was one of the hardest fighters to finish. I mean, outside of outside of the axe murder or what, John Jones is the only other guy to finish him in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Vanderlei Silva actually never finished Rampage in the UFC. That was all in pride. Oh, no. oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should I should have phrased that correctly. Like that has like finished him pretty much since his 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 fame rose in pride i should have i should have phrased it that way because outside of jones and and wandley i cannot think of another fighter that went in there and really made rampage just look completely outclassed i mean yes he's got the loss to forrest griffin but you know that's still one of those most controversial losses in the history of the ufc just because in all actuality Rampage lost that fight on leg kicks. Significant strike numbers he had more, but he lost the fight because of leg kicks. It is what it is. But outside of that, like, like, you know, he's got those losses, but there's only been the two men that actually finished him. So I think there are, there's quite a few people who are short-sighted with their thoughts on Rampage. And I get it that if you're comparing him to the modern fighter, right? you're going to start seeing a lot of holes in his game. You're going to start seeing some things that you don't necessarily like. But when you are comparing him strictly against his contemporaries, which is the only fair way to really do it, Rampage is one of the best of his generation. So I think there is a lot of, um, especially on the UFC's end, because of personal things between himself and Dana, right? I don't think that Rampage gets the type of love that he should get. 
Well, like I say, because I remember there was a period of time a few years ago that Rampage was actually trying to go back to the UFC, get out of his Bellator contract, and Bellator wouldn't let him because, you know, obviously contract reasons. But like I say, whatever may have happened with him and Dana, like I say, it was water under the bridge. But I do agree with you that, like say, as far as mainstream media goes, yeah, Rampage has appeared in a couple movies, and he was B.A. Baracus in the 18 movie. And yes, Vanderlei Silva and Pride was able to finish him, and John Jones was the only man in the UFC to ever beat Rampage Jackson with a clear-cut finish. Like, a lot of his... Like, say, we saw Rampage lose fights to decisions... But we never really saw him get finished in a lot of those fights or or even really be in danger of getting finished. I mean, Rampage even avenged his losses to Vanderlei Silva later on in his UFC career. Rampage, uh-huh. and, and the thing that people tend not to remember is Rampage Jackson was the first unified champion in all of MMA. Because remember, Dan Henderson came over from, you know, Dan Henderson still had those pride titles. And the first person he fought wasn't Anderson Silva. No, it was Rampage Jackson. Because I still remember after Rampage when Rampage won a fight, fight after after holding the belt, he was just like, "Oh man, y'all gonna make me fight my friend," and he won that fight, and he won it on the ground. Like Dan Henderson is not a slouch when it came to the wrestling game, and Rampage won it on the ground. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. When you have a man like Dan Henderson, when it comes to Dan Henderson, everybody knows he has a brutal he has a brutal right hand. He has a brutal right hand that could take anybody out. Out, Ronaldo called it the H bomb, but Rampage Jackson beat Dan Henderson at his own game. Rampage Jackson unified the UFC light heavyweight and pride middleweight title, mm-hmm. and no one puts a light on that as much as they should because of the fact that yes we are living in the era where it's no longer who's the best martial artist it's the be- be- it's the who's the best mixed martial artist because we're no longer cuz remember when the UFC first when we first started seeing the UFC heck for some of our listeners who have played the UFC video games, go back and look at the, the archetypes for the fighters. It was, you had your, you know, kickboxers, you had your boxers, you had your wrestlers, you had your jujitsu. Now to be successful, you pretty much have to master all of that, or you need to be a master of at least two or three things and be able to negate the other. Like if you're a skillful striker, you don't have a good ground game, then hey, work on ju- some jujitsu for when you face a high level wrestler. Because guess what? That's going to be the one thing that may negate you as a high level striker. We've seen a lot of top level fighters have a hard time. Let's say, let's take in point two of the guys who have defined the UFC middleweight division, like an Anderson Silva and an Israel Adesanya. They are not known for their ground games. But their takedown defense was incredible. And when most fighters would take them down, yes, we would see fighters lean on them for rounds. We saw it with Chel Sonnen versus versus Silva. We saw it with uh, 
John Blaschewitz versus Adesanya. We saw those things, but we also never took away it never took away the greatness of these fighters. Quentin Rampage Jackson is somebody who I have always said he was the archetype for what a fighter could be because not only was he, you know, impressive, like he had impressive fights. He had impressive finishes. I mean, come on, tell me one person who has not seen the power bomb her around the world in a pride fight when he lifted up Ricardo Arona and slammed him to the ground. Treating him like a child. Right. And that was to combat a triangle choke. But you're talking about, and, and that man has left highlight moments. He's the one who stopped Chuck Liddell's reign over the light heavyweight division. Once again, I mentioned again, unified the pride and UFC titles, the pride middleweight and the UFC light heavyweight title, and gave us a highlight reel knockout against Vanderlei Silva. Quentin Rampage Jackson deserves a lot of love from fans of current MMA and past MMA. And you know what? We here at Inside the Cage want to give the man a little love. You know, the thing about Rampage, too, is just that guys from that era, you have to you have to give them their credit, right? Because they were a lot of them are for lack of a better word, visionaries in the sport, right? A lot of them added things into the game that you really didn't expect guys to have. I mean, like you said, one of the most important, impressive things that Rampage did in his career was his fight against Henderson and being able to put that man on, on the, his back in the way that he did. Nobody else dominated Dan Henderson in that way at all throughout his career. So to me, without a shadow of a doubt, once things can, you know, a little bit more time can go by and, you know, all the contract situations and everything with Bellator can be done and dusted, I don't see any reason why the UFC doesn't then put Rampage into the UFC Hall of Fame. I agree. He deserves to go into that Hall of Fame. And then plus also, and I meant to mention this earlier when I was talking about Rampage, the man had charisma. I mean, that's what drew me in. Like, because I'll be the first one to admit, the first fight I ever saw Rampage Jackson's was against Chuck Liddell, and his post-fight interview drew me in. I mean, not a lot of fighters draw you in with the post-fight, especially mm-hmm. back in that time. A lot of them were very, very. Oh, I'm going to call this guy out. Oh, I'm going to do this. Rampage was entertaining. Of course, I think I think the greatest feud Rampage ever had was against Ariel Hawani, but you know, that's just me saying that <laughs> as someone. Someone who has very, very vehemently stated my feelings about Ariel Hawani. But it was entertaining. It was fun. And you know what? At the end of the day, Rampage Jackson deserves a spot in the UFC Hall of Fame. And I I tell anybody to – I dare anybody to try and tell us any different. But with that being said, though, let's go ahead and stop looking at the past and look at something that happened recently in the present, and that was UFC 265 and Jerome. I have to say kudos to Cyril Gain. He finished Derek Lewis, which is not an easy feat by any means, mm-hmm. but 
I have to say though, I think that that card was probably the biggest disappointment of the year so far. Like, just call it what it was. See, the card was trash. You're trying to be nice and not call it trash. The card was trash. Just say it. Because we both know it was. Look, man, we talked about it before the card happened, which was that there was nothing really exciting for you to turn around and watch on these cards. Like, we hit a weird spot with the UFC, right, where it was like basically two cards in a row that would throw away cards for you. And I hate to say it because we're big fans of, of the UFC and big fans of the uh, of the sport of MMA, but that card sucked. <laughs> I mean, it did. I you know I didn't watch it live, but I went back and rewatched the um, you know the fights just so I could get a fair idea of what ended up happening. And yeah, there wasn't. You know, you know, T. Normally in a card, I can at least walk away with like one person where I'm like really impressed with their performance and I can say, okay, we got something to look forward to out of this guy, right? There's not a person that I can say that for out out of these last two cards at all. I mean, yeah, good, good, good for him for finishing Derek Lewis, right? Good for him. But even like you go back and watch that fight, it's not like that fight was like the most exciting thing you've ever watched in, in your life. It's not like it was some super slugfest and then it just got finished off or or it was some crazy you know crazy exciting ending like cyborg and nunez you know what i mean where it's like oh my goodness you know this is so electric this was crazy to see happen it was just like oh yeah derek you clearly weren't ready for this <laughs> this dude is clearly that next level that you're just not at like Derek, you know who derek rose uh, who derek lewis has kind of become t and Don't i hate say, to say it are you gonna say kenny florian <laughs> you know I am. I hate to say it, but he is. He's the Kenny Florian of the heavyweight division. He's the gatekeeper. Because the thing about Derek Lewis is, is that if you don't take him serious, right, if you're not those the, the, the elites in that division, you're going to have real problems with that guy. But the elite fighters seem to have that little bit more than Derek. And, and I hate to harp on it again, but I think it comes back to, again, his cardio. Derek Lewis has terrible, terrible cardio. And until he can sort that out, I know we talked about this, hell, like two years ago, T, that until Derek actually gets his cardio correct, we can't really consider him a top fighter because of that fact, because we know his tank will empty out so quickly. And I think he just ran into that problem again. And, uh, I mean – Good for Derek for getting that, getting the paycheck. I just hope that now maybe he'll take it to the next level and, and really, you know, take the training to the next level. But if he doesn't, it doesn't make me think any less of him. I've known who Derek Lewis is for his career. He's always been very transparent about how he is about his training and everything. So I respect it. But I would like to see him get to the next level. But at this point in his career, especially what is Derek now, like 31 and 32, right? I don't see him changing at this point. I say we'll just have to see what happens in the future because, in all honesty, I don't know of another UFC card that has me excited for, you know, the fights coming up. I mean, it's it's just the truth of it. I mean, what's the next card you're excited for? 
I say, let me go ahead and take a look at that because I because that's that's what it really right comes now, down to, right? Like because I I see exactly what you're saying, which is that hey, if you start looking at the cards that are coming up, you're like, ew, that's all that's coming up. You know, it's, it's not like there's a lot of um a lot of huge fights because I mean, out of everything here, okay, right, so. The next cars that are in line, okay, we've got Kenny versus Gastelum as the headliner. We got Barboza, and then the next card after that is the headliner is Barboza and Chikadaze. I think that's how you say his name. Then after that, it's Br- the next uh, main event is Brunson versus Hill. Okay, and hold on i'm sorry well i uh, I was looking more so at like like say the pay-per-views like the stuff that people are going to like spend a lot of money to watch and i mean ufc 266 looks like a decent card but let's say because you got uh alexander volkanovsky versus brian ortega and then you've got uh valentina shevchenko versus lauren murphy and then you've got the return of nick diaz versus robbie lawler And a heavily anticipated rematch that a lot of people are very high on that match. But here's the thing: Diaz hasn't fought in what two, three years, and I don't. And and here's the thing: okay, we've seen the inactivity of his brother Nick. Nick has been out far longer than Nate ever was. And Robbie Lawler, you know, he's fought over the last couple of years. He's actually fought. He's, I don't know if that fight is enough to make me want to watch. Look, like, let's just call, call it what it is, T. You're trying to dance. Here, here you go. Trying to be nice again, T. You're dancing around it. Let's call it what it is. You are not interested in watching two guys who are both washed at this point fight. They're both washed. I say now, as far as the but see, here's the thing UFC 266 doesn't excite me, it really doesn't. I'll be the first one to admit it, it does not excite me. It doesn't, it's not a card that I'm heavily going, Oh, I gotta watch that. It's just gotta be, you know, the, the, the card that I really want to see, you know. But no, mm-hmm. and then I say, right now. It's, you know, right now, like say, even UFC 267 doesn't officially have a main event. But, like I say, because right right now you're looking at John Bla- Jan Blaschewitz versus Glover Teixeira for the, the light heavyweight championship, but there's nothing official. And then there's also talk about uh, your boy Aljamain Sterling fighting Peter Yan for the Bantamweight Championship, you know, because we all know that that fight needed a rematch. Mm-hmm. Let's say Sterling versus Yan needed a, needed a rematch because of the way that the first fight ended. And that was just a shame that... And I, I can understand Aljamain Sterling, like... Because here's the thing. You are the UFC Bantamweight Champion, but you did not win it in a traditional way. You didn't win it by decision, submission, or knockout. You won it by disqualification. And 
Jerome and and be and let's just be hundred percent honest. If that fight would have went to decision, Sterling was not getting that fight. Unless he pulled off something very, very significant. Yeah, no, he was going to lose that fight. He was getting utterly dominated up until that point of the fight when the disqualification happened. He was getting dominated. I, I love Aljamain Sterling. He, I've been a fan of his for some years now. Man, he was getting his ass kicked. <laughs> Plain out and simple. It, it, there's not really another way to put it. It was just utter domination. It really, really was. I say so. I have to say the UFC needs to do a better job of not only building stars, but putting on cards that fan, a lot of fans want to see. Because it got to the point, literally, where UFC 265. I was on the fence about watching it, and then the place I normally watch the fights, as you are aware, the manager there he sent me a message saying, "Hey, we canceled it. Not enough interest." Okay, for a venue that had agreed previously to go ahead and just air the fight to cancel showing it, that should be indication that interest in the UFC's and the in, in, in the UFC's cards are down. Now, granted, yes, UFC two sixty six, you're going to have people coming out to watch Brian Ortega versus Volkanovsky. You're going to have people wanting to see the brilliance of Valentina Shevchenko. But you're also going to have those people who are definitely going to push the narrative of Diaz and Lawler. And we'll just have to see where it goes from there. But in the meantime, I'm going to give UFC 265 the most disappointing card of the year. But but like I say, we'll see what happens later down the road. Oh, and speaking of things coming later down the road... I originally wanted to talk about, you know, the the premiere of the new Stephen Amell show, Heels, but Jerome, I want to I'm going to bring up something that uh you've mentioned on the show before and asked me questions about. How do you feel if you had the chance to watch it about that Marvel What If series? Um, well, I enjoyed the first episode. I thought it was showing that it's going to be some interesting stuff going on within the within the entire uh, show as far as where it's gonna go i'm not 100 percent because they did say two things that are very important about this right which is that number one everything that they're telling is all a canon story that is happening somewhere in a split off timeline right number two right. they're also they're stating that the events that happen in this series will point you in the big direction of where things are going moving forward for the entire Marvel Marvel Universe. So I'm curious to see what are the surprises they're going to have. I'm going to say it now, T. I think the first appearance of the X-Men and Mutants is going to be in the Marvel What If series. I really do. Hmm. It's a that one got you, didn't it? It got it's you a, thinking, didn't it? It's a possibility, but the question, because the thing is, is that we have to realize about the What If series is a lot of it's voiced by the actors that have played them in the MCU. So the question is, is would they just get some random actors to voice those characters, or 
would those be the actors and actresses that are playing those roles? Now, granted, Dave Bautista has actively stated that he did not voice Drax in the What If series. But let's say we heard we heard Chris Evans. We heard Chris Evans' voice. We heard Haley Atwell. I mean, we heard, like I say, a lot of the people that we are familiar with voices in the series. So we're going to be seeing what happens because this, this What If series, like I say, because the thing is that some people may be like, oh, like some people who are not familiar with comic books may be like, oh, this is an interesting concept. Guess what? It happened in the comic books years ago. So we're gonna we're we're basically gonna see a plethora of different things going on within this series, and I'm excited to see what's happening. And I I love the fact that they did the inclusion of the Watcher Uatu, because I say that's one of the few characters we've seen a slight glimpse of before, but never really you know got to expand much on. And I think it's I think it's a good thing. Well, you know technically who they said has been the watcher this this like whole time. Well, I, I don't know if they've necessarily said it, but it's who people suspect has been the watcher this whole time in all the Marvel movies, right? Who's that? Stan Lee. They're saying there is a I can't remember if it was confirmed or not, but there's a working theory that essentially states that all the different characters that you see Stan as in all the movies, that's the watcher. Well, they actually had and they actually showed the watcher with Stan Lee in one of the movies. Which movie did they show him with the watcher? Uh I'm trying to think because I remember like say Stan was on the moon and they showed showed like one or two people that looked just like Uatu. Um uh, I think it was I want to say the second Guardians of the Galaxy, but I'd have to go back and look because like say it all this stuff bleeds in together after a while. You're talking 20-something movies, so. No, but that's that's part of the reason why I think um, if if they're going to make it somebody, something like that, because, you know, technically, the Watcher is always, we, okay, so for those that don't understand this, the Watcher is a character that is hands-off. He observes. That, that's what the watch is about. He's about observing. He is not about sticking his hands into stuff and, 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 uh, and adjusting the results. He's literally just there watching out on things and observing how everything plays out in front of his eyes. So with that in mind, that's why I don't think it would surprise me if that Stan, if those Stanley cameos ends up being the watcher, because it would make sense, right? Because Clearly, the Watcher would have had to have been seeing all of this stuff that was happening. And we both know the Watcher wants to get as best of view on things as possible, right? So mm-hmm. it would make sense if it was Stan. Because then he, you know, because think about it Stan was always, his character was always in the middle of some crazy stuff happening within whatever Marvel movie it was at the time. So I'm telling you, I think I think Stan was the watcher. I really do. I mean, when he appeared, appeared, appeared uh, in like Infinity War, no, not Infinity War, uh, Civil War at the end, and it was just like I'm looking for Tony Stank. That wasn't really too crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, okay, that's fair. That wasn't too crazy, but okay. But regardless, I think that that is 
who Stan's Stan's character was. And I think that's going to be part of how they draw the character and show everyone that like, hey, while all of this has been going on this entire time, this character has been there too. We just haven't, you would have to be keen eyed to understand who Stan's character was over the course of all these things. You know what I'm saying? So I think it just works out that way. I say we'll see what we'll see what happens as far as the, the series goes. I say, and if and believe me, if Jerome Steer is right, best believe I will be giving him all the props. All right, I, but, I'm telling you, just that those. Things, I'm telling you, bro. The X Men, they're gonna find a way, bro. They're gonna find a way. Well, life will find a way, and this ain't Jurassic Park. But you know <laughs> what? It is time for. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> You love it. You enjoy it. This is time now for Spans Shenanigans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the mind of a madman. We've got some fun stories for you this week. We've got some serious ones and, you know, maybe we have a Skynet story of the week for you. Who knows? But moving along here, we will start with the first story of the week, which is the premiere of Justin Fields playing for the Bills, the Bears today in his first preseason game. Um, he saw about two quarters, well, yeah, you can call it about two quarters of action here. Um, he looked pretty damn good. Some overarching thoughts that I had over it for his performance. Number one, his ball placement today was extremely, extremely good. He put the ball consistently in the places where only his receiver was going to be able to catch it, and he was not leaving his receivers vulnerable for big shots. He did have one bad throw on the day, and that was on a rollout that almost got picked out, picked off, but it more so than it being a like he was just completely off, the throw was just high, ended up going up into the air, and it almost was the almost caught on a deflection. So, but uh, ball placement was great. Also, his ability to quickly get through his reads really, really shined through today. You could see him moving through his reads quickly to get to the correct one, put the ball where it needed to be. You could see he wasn't afraid to try and keep plays alive. He was very, very, very good with moving his feet in the pocket today and also using his mobility to get out of the pocket and get some yards when the plays just broke down. But he had one play today where he scored a rushing touchdown, and it was very, very impressive because he got to see everything except for the ball placement that I was talking about here. You got to see him go through his reads quickly and realize what the defense was in and where he needed, what he needed to do with the ball. You saw great ability and presence in the pocket, which he, which he made a slight little move within the pocket that was, it was just beautiful, Terrell. I mean, if you want to see what I'm talking about, go on my Twitter. I already tweeted it out there. You'll see it. Beautiful, subtle move in the pocket to avoid the pressure, rolled out, got himself into the end zone, I would just like to say, Justin Fields, if he can continue to show us that he has the ability like he did today, the Bears most definitely 100% have a quarterback. I have real big faith in this guy at this point, and hopefully you know, we can continue to see him grow and see him become the franchise quarterback that uh, us as Bears fans have been waiting on for forever and a day. But moving forward here, there are sources that reported to The Athletic this week stating that the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC 
are all having discussions about forming an alliance, essentially a super league. Now, I kind of, if you listen to, um, I believe it was about three episodes ago of Inside the Cave Sports Ball, me and Mace actually talked about um, the possibility of these super conferences now popping up. While it's all good and well that the, you know, that the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are trying to do this, and, you know, knowing that the SEC is out here making major moves, I just want to point out, and shout-outs to, you know, Spencer Hall on Twitter. He had the best comment on this. They're literally making Team Rocket. The Pac-12 is meow. (laughs) and god is he so right because let me tell you something you can combine those three football conferences and you still don't have one good as good as the sec so it is what it is right (laughs) but we will see what what happens on that uh moving forward here we won't i don't think college football or college sports is going to look like it did as we have known it to be for the past, I don't know, 70, 80 years that it's been in existence as a like institution and how they basically go about business. Do not be surprised that within a couple of years, if you guys see that these colleges don't have any NCAA involvement, because if you know anything about the NCAA, they are actually a pretty useless organization. They actually don't have any real power to do anything. It's all voluntary power that the schools are giving them so i don't know i think the game has just changed and we're not going to see things look as they have over the uh, over our lifetime over a lot of people's lifetime here but moving forward here um i you know uh i try not to clown clown companies too much when they're trying to do things that could be considered innovative right But over this last week here, um, CNET put out a story stating that AMC will soon accept Bitcoin for movie tickets. And if that isn't the most uh, statement I've ever heard in my life, I don't know what is. Of course, AMC would be willing to accept Bitcoin as payment for it because Bitcoin is way more valuable than their crappy stock. For those, that, for those that don't understand, um, when I checked earlier this week, bit, one Bitcoin was basically $32,000. One stock in AMC right now, well, as of Tuesday, um, it was $36.90. So, of course, they would take Bitcoin for movie tickets. Who the hell wouldn't? See, if somebody offered you one Bitcoin for something that you had, like, hey, T, I want to buy, you know, these wrestling shirts that you got off you, and instead of giving you cash, I'm going to just give you one Bitcoin. Would you say no? Nope. Exactly. <laughs> Some people, I just want to say, duh, duh, AMC. Anybody would take Bitcoin for their product at this point, you idiots. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But moving forward here, um, as of August 8th, um, the state of Florida was up to a new high here of seven-day averages on their cases here of new cases of COVID. 
they were as of August eighth, they were up to twenty eight thousand three hundred and seventeen new cases. Um. Why am I bringing this up? Because there was a, not only first off was rolling loud um, about three weeks ago in Miami, but also if you notice, there have been a lot of pushback um, from people in the state of Florida, as far as mask mandates and stuff like that. And you've got idiots like the Senator from Texas, Ted Cruz saying that we should have no COVID uh, mandates at all. What does that mean? That means mass, no mass mandates, no vaccine mandates. That means no vaccine passports. I just got to say to people like Ted Cruz and you all these Ted, people. In, you mean Ted, uh, uh, Ted uh, Mex- run the Mexico well, Cruz? <laughs> or, 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 or as we actually should be calling him by his proper name on this show, as we normally do, Rafael Eduardo Cruz. Um, so, old Raphael here, I just want to say to people like you that are in positions of power that are still out here, you know, selling this BS that is putting people's lives in dangers, you, sir, are a piece of you know what. I'm trying not to mess up the rating this week, T. You see, I'm trying. But he's a piece of the you know what. And anybody who was like that, that is out here being dumb enough to still not go out here and get this vaccine. I'm sorry, man, that, that this is this is too much. You're just stupid at this point. Stop being stupid and go get the vaccine. But to wrap this up here on, on Mr. Rafael Eduardo Cruz in the video that he that he was stating this in those comments, the directly, you know, we should have no COVID mandates. What does that mean? All that BS, right? Chelsea Handler actually put out a great tweet about it, and she said, government should not weigh in on wearing masks, but they should wear in on whether a woman has the freedom to choose if she has a baby. That's quite a stance. And my goodness, Rafael Eduardo Cruz, what a stance. And to all you people out here that are constantly trying to be those people that tell others what to do with their own body, and now you want to tell everybody else, that, oh, no, we shouldn't be, we should, the government shouldn't have any say on whether I have to wear a mask or take this vaccine. Don't you feel like a freaking hypocrite at this point? Do you not see the irony of what you're saying? I don't know, man. It's crazy. to me. <laughs> it's crazy. T, I'm going to say it again, man. And I, I don't know if, if you agree with this, but this is just honestly how I feel we're going to end up in another lockdown. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm anticipating it. That's a doggone shame that, like, most reasonable people at this point are anticipating the fact that we're going to have another shutdown. That's crazy. It shouldn't oh, even be that way. Just talking to people just daily throughout my life, mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with multiple people over the last for like four days over the last four days and and everybody's basically like yeah we're getting another lockdown we just don't know when it's going to happen some people are saying it's going to be as late as october other people are saying it's going to be as early as the beginning of september mm-hmm. but we are, but i see it happening <sighs> it's it's a shame that that is the point that we have gotten to that there are so many of us that are turning around and we realize like oh man awesome 
we are going to end up in another lockdown because people just can't seem to act right. So, uh, unfortunately, we are at that point again, though. And so I say again, people, please, please, please go get the vaccine, man. This Delta variant is not out here playing with people. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, people are still getting COVID with the vaccine. Yes, that's because there are different variants. But you know what the big, big colossal difference is with those people and, and somebody who is unvaccinated? They are not needing hospitalization for the most part, right? I don't think I've, and I don't want to say it in, you know, just, just putting it out there as a blanket statement, but I have not seen one story yet to you where someone who was vaccinated and then ended up getting the Delta variant has needed to go to the ER and to take up a, a bed in the hospital, right? They've gotten the Delta variant and they've been good enough to be able to stay home and um, deal with it in their homes, right? So mm-hmm. people go get the damn vaccine, man. I mean, I don't know what else we have to go through in this country for people to start to realize that this is something that we have to take care of at this point because it is not going to get better by itself. It's not going to happen. If anything, if anything, this may be natural selection in, in effect. You know, I haven't wanted to be cold-blooded and say it to you, but you're right. You're right. Oh, I'll 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 be cold-blooded. Like say, like like I'm not saying everybody who's you know past is you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the people that don't want to progress get left behind. Mm-hmm. That's just. And that's just me giving my honest opinion. I know some people may not like it. I know some people may love it. But regardless, it's my honest opinion. If you got a problem with it, hey, you know how to find me. <laughs> Facts. Facts. So, yeah, I, I, please, people, man, be smarter. Go out here and go get this vaccine because even if you're not worried about you, man, do it for the people around you and, and do it so you don't you know, potentially end up passing it to someone and you know endangering their lives and making their lives worse so it's it's very unfortunate that we're still going through this but hopefully hopefully we will get past this at some point right but moving forward here um a story came out over the last week where elena deladon said that during her rehab from her injury over this past, uh, not well, over this last summer, it would have been not this, not the summer we're currently in, but the one before. She stated that Russell Westbrook was one of her biggest helps during her rehab. Russ Westbrook would come in early, way in her words, Russ would come in way too early on game day, even, and he would come in and rebound for me. He would come in just to help her work through her rehab to get back to the point to where she could hoop again at the level that she was previously doing it at. Just want to say. Awesome for Russell Westbrook. If you guys don't know anything about him, Russell Westbrook is out here doing a lot of things that are great for um, communities. He seems to be a pretty, you know, pleasant person when we're not just dealing with him primarily in the basketball environment, right? He seems to be a pretty good guy. So I just want to say shout out to you, Russell Westbrook, for consistently being you and staying true to your virtues and your values and being willing to, you know, not, not big time anybody and and you looked at somebody who was a a a peer of your own and you decided to help them out when you didn't even have to and you had no requirements to so russell westbrook my man shout outs to you on that 
But moving forward here, Terrell. All right, man. So let me ask you this, T. Yes. How much have you seen about, um, you know, as far as what's going on in preparations for this next SpaceX flight that they're trying to send up into space? How much I do you have know not, I have not seen anything about it. Okay. Well, there's a lot going on with that. Whole, 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 whole lot going on with that. But I'm bringing this up just to talk about the artificial artificial intelligence that they're going to be using in these rockets. Now, I know a lot of us have seen the movie Apollo 13, right? And we've seen, you know, clips of, of space launches to where there's all types of dials and, and, and stuff everywhere in there, right? Well, on this SpaceX rocket, it's all been, all of those gadgets and all of those dials and stuff that you need have all been shrunken down to three computer screens, right? That the astronauts then work off of those screens. There is an uh, ability for them to pilot the craft if they need to, if there is an emergency of some type that they have to take control. But for the most part, Terrell, do you know how these astronauts are going to be navigating most of the time, T? Can you guess? GPS? <laughs> Artificial intelligence. You global positioning system when they in space, fool. They're satellites. Glo- Think about what you're saying. Global positioning system when they in space. Hey, they can. They are going to be around the globe. See, the are sa- they on the globe? <laughs> Hold on. They're going to be around <laughs> the globe, and they're going to be in positions. Boom. Oh my god. Now I know why we have so many people that are science illiterate. Now I know why. <laughs> I completely understand why now. <clears throat> but to the question that I was asking, it is artificial intelligence. Now, why am I bringing this up as the Skynet story of the week? Because Terrell. Again, we are now putting something in the hands of a robot that was in control by humans for forever and a day. And we are putting our trust and our faith into the robots. And I think it's awesome that we've made these advancements with the technology, but my God, is it scary. I know it's not scary to you because, you know, you're just going to bend over backwards for the robot overlords anyway. I know. I get it. Backwards and sideways. It's time. <laughs> oh, Jerome, you still with us? All right, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like we lost Rome t- temporarily, but let's say we'll keep the show going on. I say I don't have any shenanigans to call anybody. Wait, can you, oh, you hear me? Oh, yep. We're, oh, I don't know. Yep, that, that was odd. That was very odd. Okay. So, um, no. So, to finish up here, 
with our last story of the week, which is a very, very positive story. And it is actually a follow-up on a story that we had previously in Shenanigans, which was we talked about previously that there were a lot of um, translators that were still in Afghanistan that were trying to get themselves and their families out. Um, over this last week, it was, uh, well, actually the news broke earlier today that President Biden is accelerating the deployment of, a, of additional 1,000 American troops to Afghanistan to help the U.S. citizens and Afghans who um, work for the U.S. government evacuated from Kabul safely as the Taliban continues to encircle around Kabul. Why is this important? Because people, we went over there and we fought a war and we had these people helping us out, knowing all of the risks that were there to themselves and their family. Now they helped us out, they helped our troops out. We need to do the right thing. We needed to do the right thing and make sure that we got these people out. And it looks like now that the Biden administration is doing that. So to the Biden administration, I give you kudos for doing the right thing here and making sure that we get these people out safely because for those that don't seem, that don't understand the severity of the situation, they, the translators have already been receiving threats stating by the Taliban that, and they say, unless they admit their wrongdoing, they are going to be severely punished. But if you know anything about how the Taliban operates, they were going to be severely punished regardless. So just want to commend Joe Biden and, and their administration for doing the right thing and making sure that we get these people out. They were willing to put their lives on, their, on the line to help out our troops and keep our, help, help keep our troops safely while they were overseas in this war-torn environment. So kudos to you guys at the Biden administration for doing the right thing. But as I tell you guys each and every week, please stop paying attention to the Kardashians. The Kardashians do not give a damn about you or your family. Pay attention to science. Science can help change your life or someone around you's life for the better. I promise you people, science will do it for you. But that's all I got for you this week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Spanish shenanigans for this week. So, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and roll right into the wrestling portion of the show. And Jerome, got to talk about it. Recently, we had the debut episode of AEW Rampage, where we saw Christian Cage Christian! win the Impact World title from Kenny Omega before their big showdown at All Out September 5th. And I have to ask this question, Jerome. Do you feel like maybe AEW jumped the shark on this one? Look, I don't know how many times I can say this. I and I'm gonna and I'm gonna stick to this no matter what. And I know people, I know there's gonna be a lot of people that give me blowback for this, and that they're gonna say that I'm being harsh with my words, but I'm gonna say it plain out and simple. I thought AEW was supposed to be the antithesis of what WWE does, not just be another version of it. Because if you're not going to give us the completion of the Hangman Page storyline at All Out, you're wasting all of our time. 
plain out and simple. Now, let's say there may be another piece of that puzzle that, let's say, that we didn't like know about or that we did and just for conveniently forgot. Hangman is probably asked for time off because he's getting ready to become a dad. Fair. That is fair. That may be a possibility. But say, again, that, though, and if, that and doesn't if that's, mean, that doesn't mean that, you can't finish your storyline, though. That doesn't mean you can't finish that. That just means I mean, you probably have to finish it off with Hey, he cut. He like you know when you when it's time for him to go, you set up an injury storyline. That's all that it is. Well, it and that's the same rocket science. And that's pretty much what they tried to do without the the extra dramatics the WWE would do. And that is they had him get beat down by the elite, and then I say we didn't see him on TV this week at all. We didn't see him on Dynamite or Rampage. I said we don't know how long Heyman's going to be gone, but like say if it's because he's going to be a father that they didn't go with that story. Hey, no, no problems there. You know I'm a big Hangman Page fan. You become a big Hangman Page fan, and we just hope that he has the best, you know, the healthiest kid out there. You know, well, not the healthiest one, but you know he has a healthy, you know, baby coming out. Uh, I just want to say I just. The reason why I asked the question of do, they, do we think they're jumping the shark is because of the fact that you just had Christian beat Kenny Omega on national television. Your pay-per-view, now you have Christian as the Impact World Champion, Kenny as the AAA Mega Champion, and the AEW Champion. And it's going to be for the AEW title. Like a lot of the interest I would have, I had in that match. I'm on the fence on if, if that match is still is going to sell me to watch all out because when I'm looking at it, I'm just like, Hmm, do I really want to see a match I've seen before? Cause if I mm-hmm. want to see that, I watch Monday night rematch, but <laughs> at the same time, it's, one of those things. Well, Kenny just lost one of the belts he collected. Now it's okay. Can Christian take away another one of his titles? It, it it's really just a question of what's going to happen. Like, how are they going to play this narrative? Because they're mm-hmm. already starting to play it out as, hey, Kenny, Christian's in your head now. No, he just pinned you. Well, yeah. So we're gonna see what happens. And hopefully AEW doesn't jump the shark because didn't truly jump the shark because, yeah, there's still a lot of mileage left with Kenny Omega as the, like, without Hangman Page, Kenny Omega as the AEW champion has a lot more tread left on the tires. If you want me to be honest with you, I think it was stupid of them to not finish the storyline before Hangman was going to need time off for the for the kid. I think it was stupid. You had all the momentum in the world, man. You had everything. You had people talking about your storyline that you built up to now nothing. There's no payoff, man. And yeah, okay, cool. I acknowledge, yes, they can do the payoff months down the road. But is it still going to have the same effect? Absolutely not. 
This was a two-year, uh, an active two-year storyline that we're not getting a because they're like, ah, we don't want to have to take the belt off of Kenny and then take it off of you, Hangman Page. That's WWE crap, okay? Because a real wrestling company that has confidence in their storylines and their ability to tell you great stories is going to finish the story and find a way to make it work. Not piss on the storyline that you've been running for two years by giving a title to Christian. And no disrespect to Christian because it has nothing to do with him as a wrestler, as a person, nothing. It has everything to do with the fact of the matter that they have pissed away the heat and all the goodwill that they have with that storyline now. I mean, we'll just have to see what happens, let's say, later down the road, man, because I say I'm still very much in the hangman boat, boat, but we'll see what happens. That's that's all I can really say at this point. But also, well, I, I know you're in his corner. You, you're the one that put me on the hangman page, right? You're the one that told me give the guy a chance. And it's that's why it's just so utterly disappointing now to turn around and see the way that they're handling this. Hell, I'll even give you another scenario, T. They could have him win it all out and have him have the injury scenario happen that same night. So what you want? So you would want them to put the belt on him just to have him forfeit it? Well, no, because then it's well, yeah, technically it would be a forfeit, right? But then it's the hey. Now he's got a reason to come back after Kenny Omega when he comes back. You know what I'm saying? Because think about it now. What, how is it going to feel when, okay, Hangman Page comes back off of his time off and now it's right back to the Kenny Omega crap? What was the purpose of him taking his time off then? I mean, you have a fair point, but I say... I'm pretty sure they'll come up with some way that will get people back reinvested in the story because AEW has a way of doing that. They really do. Think about it. Look at a guy like Miro who was a video game playing Mickey Mouse shirt wearing guy that was walking, running around with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. And now look at him, the redeemer, the guy, they say he's back to being the monster that, People got that people were in favor of. Yes, people loved him when he was Rusev Day, but people were more invested in him when he was that Bulgarian brute just brutalizing everyone. And no, I did not practice that. So yeah, but but when it comes down to it, they like say AEW can do a lot of things, and with everything going on in the world of wrestling. Especially with the NXT releases and everything. Now, now, Jerome, I say, and we got to give credit where credit's due uh, to our to our inside the cage, uh, you know, dirt sheet analyst. We have to give credit where credit's due because one of the reports that is coming out for why they were so with the releases is Vince McMahon did not want anyone in NXT over the age of thirty. And that was too that, and that was uh, short, short by Vince's standards. <laughs> so mind you, okay, well, or 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 out of shape. 
And one of the people that fits into that that category, Bronson Reed. A man who has a great tank can go in the ring and is like, and he has a quiet charisma to him, didn't fit the bill. A guy like Bobby Fish, here's the thing. Everybody knows Bobby Fish is older than we think he is. Everybody knows that. But, you know, like I say, people still respected the man. He's out the door. I still can't examine why Tyler Rust went, like I say, because from, from my recollection, seeing Tyler Rust next to Roderick Strong, taller than Roderick Strong. Uh, Tyler Rust, I'm pretty sure, is under the age of 30. And, you know, but but maybe one of those things where Vince, it may be one of those Christian effects where Vince McMahon looked at Tyler Russ and just did not like his face. <laughs> like, Wouldn't like, be the you know, first I, time. like say, say, and I call it the Christian effect because literally it has been reported multiple times that Vince McMahon wanted to put, did not like Christian's face and wanted to put a blue dot on his face every time he wrestled on TV. Yep. Like, and my thing is, and 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 I can kind of get it because, like I say, because I'm not looking at, I'm looking at Tyler Russ. I'm just like, I don't see him being that, like, world champion. You know, I don't see him being, being the NXT champion. I don't see him being, you know, like, I, at best, if he was to, if he would have made it to the main roster, I would have seen him as a mid-card champion. You know, but that, that's just me. That's me. Basically, saying I get it, I don't agree with it, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know what? It's Vince's company, and I think that somewhere down the line, we're going to hear more and more reports because there's already reports leaking out that there's a power struggle with it in WWE, and it's involving Triple H. And of course, it's going to be Vince and Bruce and and Johnny Ace versus well, Triple what's H. What's the rumor? Let's say basically that like Triple H is getting blindsided by a lot of these releases. That he's not a fan of a lot of this stuff that's going on, and he's really trying to like take back the reins of NXT because although it's his brainchild, Vince still cutting the check. Like if all of a sudden that one of these days that we hear that NXT is getting disbanded as a brand. And we hear something, and like Triple H is all of a sudden on the outs with with WWE. I would not be surprised if Triple H was able to get a group of people together and be like, "Look, you see this? I created this. I created these takeovers. I'm the one who can't who who we found these talents, and I made them into bigger stars, or underneath the WWE umbrella, outside of WWE." I can do much more with the kind of talents I want. Think about it. A guy like Adam Cole having his contract expired after take after after SummerSlam, and the man's been working on a handshake agreement for the better part of a month. A guy like Adam Cole with all the charisma in the world. Hell, everybody sees Adam Cole as a new version of Shawn Michaels. But a guy like Adam Cole not having a contract right now? tells you the perception that a lot of the people in the locker room will have of the WWE because think about it for think about it if this would have been three years ago Adam Cole his contract's coming up and we want to sign you to a new deal bet 
signs right on the dotted line. But now Adam Cole's looking over at AEW and just like, I know those guys. My girlfriend's there. Maybe I'll go there. And plus, with a contract expiration, there's no 90-day compete clause. So that means Adam Cole could wrestle at NXT on that Sunday and appear on Dynamite or Rampage that Wednesday or Friday. You don't think that 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 the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega have talked to Britt about Adam? Of course they have. Why do you think Adam doesn't sign a new contract? Because of the fact that he knows that if he stays in NXT, he's going to be treated like the star that he is meant to be. But if he goes to Raw or SmackDown, Vince McMahon's going to take one look at him and say, you're too small, and then relegate him to the mid-card. Adam Cole is the type of guy I can see as a world champion. The guy can wrestle and he can talk. You the know guy the thing is- I don't understand about Vince and this whole size thing, right? Like, over the past 30 years of the business, that has totally been proven to be wrong. Like, just entirely wrong thinking by Vince McMahon, right? Been proven over and over and over and over. But yet, it's like he still hasn't learned the damn lesson, T. He still has not learned that, hey, dude, you don't have to look like Batista or, or, or look like uh, Bobby Lashley for you to have an impact as a champion. But still, to this date, it still is like Vince has not learned the damn lesson yet, bro. With, like, Let me ask this. With, with that statement in mind, Pete, what do you believe it would take for Vince to ever learn this lesson if he hasn't learned it at this point? He won't. The man's in his 70s, and he's not going to change. Yep. And and I think that was that was what I wanted to ask and see if you felt the same way because that was exactly how I felt at this point that hey Vince McMahon is seventy years old he is not going to change who he is just like when things were looking real bad on the publicity side when he was still when all the stuff was coming about about him donating to Trump and his and and, and uh, Linda donating to Trump and willing to work for him. Vince does not learn. He does not care. He is always going to just do things his way, and you can either ride with it or not. And that's very true. And if you look at the ratings for Raw, people aren't riding with it. Nope. Like, we want more for, for a lot of the talents that are out there in WWE. We want mm-hmm. more for, for a guy like Ricochet, who is so extraordinarily talented that literally the the, the man was a star in NXT, and then he gets to the main roster. They give him a little bit, but then all of a sudden, they just lose faith. And and you know what the thing is? The biggest mistake they ever did on Raw was letting Paul Heyman go from the creative side. And I say that because Paul Heyman wanted to push guys like Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy, wanted to push guys like Ricochet because he saw what those guys could do. And he... Because Paul Heyman understands the greatest thing that he could do, and he did it in ECW. You show off your wrestlers' strengths, and you hide their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Think about it. Brock Lesnar could not, they say, Brock Lesnar in a post-fight in the UFC, hey, that man can talk and he can get you hyped. In a wrestling format, can't, can't do nothing. 
in a wrestling Brock is format. Very, that's like, <laughs> and let's say Brock is best left in a wrestling format to just a few <laughs> short words, unless mm-hmm. it's a heavily produced segment and you have Paul Heyman like right there being like, Brock, you gotta like relate this. And but you know what? Hey, during Brock's first tenure in the WWE. He he generally had a mouthpiece the mo- most of the time, and that mouthpiece was Heyman because they knew what a guy like Brock, the guy, the way that Brock looked back in the day. The no one was going to be like the second you would have heard Brock Lesnar's voice, you would have been like, "Oh, I can't take him serious." But by the time Brock actually spoke, he had already decimated multiple people, and he was already in high gear. And then when he finally did speak, it's just like, "Oh." Well, hey, I'm still not gonna mess with that man because let's say I they say I see how fast and strong he is. You know, they say Brock Lesnar had the Mike Tyson effect. And the the and that was one of the things that literally Bobby Lashley has it too. And that's one of the things that held back Bobby Lashley when he was first first in WWE. He did not let's say he, they let him speak way too soon. They didn't give him a mouthpiece. And yes, a lot of people are just like, well, not every wrestler deserves needs a mouthpiece. Yes, but some guys do. Let, let, let's look at Bobby Lashley before w, in the WWE back in the day when he first was there. He didn't have a mouthpiece. The greatest height he ever achieved was ECW champion. Okay? Now, mind you, ECW was an offshoot brand that was treated you know, not as seriously as it should have been. So we're going to take that away. Greatest highlight? United States champion for what a month or two, maybe a couple weeks. But yet, look at Bobby Lashley since they gave him a mouthpiece and MVP. They tried it with Leo Rush, and it was just kind of like, okay, that was a nice little fun thing. But MVP unleashed the monster in Bobby Lashley, and we see how great. Bobby Lashley is when he has a mouthpiece doing his talking for him, a man to hype him up and a man who truly knows how to hype him up. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest difference with MVP and Leo Rush is that MVP has legitimacy that Leo Rush can never have without having a career first, right? Because the WWE fan already has a healthy level of respect for MVP, right? The average fan, because you already know, you know who MVP is. You've seen him wrestle before. You've seen him have success. Now you're taking MVP and you're accentuating one of his biggest, biggest um, positive characteristics, right? Yeah, one of his biggest attributes, which is that he excels on the mic it's something he did from day one in the wwe he excelled on the mic and so now you're doing exact you're doing they're doing exactly what we want them to do right which is we know bobby's not really a talker so you need to pair him with somebody that's a talker i think the leo rush thing could have worked out but it would have had to involve leo rush then winning some singles matches to build some legitimacy into the things that he would say, right? Because if MVP threatens somebody now, there's some, you know, there's there's actually a, a chance that, hey, this guy might get them in the ring and kick their butt, right? But with Leo Rush, it was like, what are you going to do? 
I think they made him too comedic is, is basically what it comes down to. Leo became too comedic and didn't have enough of an edge. Yep. And now Leo's retired because of injury. Sorry to hear about that, but because he was a phenomenal wrestler. Damn, uh, dude, that when I saw it. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. When when we look at the whole of WWE, like you're not gonna see a lot of because here's the thing. If Vince wants big, big guys, take a look at a lot of the big guys that they have right now. Like a lot of the guys that are over let's say six nine, they're not the greatest workers. Like you take a guy like like let's let's take an example a, a guy who I'm I'm a huge fan of and I've seen his matches with Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic. I think Dijakovic's about six 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 seven, mm-hmm. but he but he's known as T Bar, which I think is still stupid that they kept the, the retribution names. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad they let him grow his hair out because he li- literally looked like he a rip off Bane in Retribution, but. When you take a guy like Dominic Dijakovic, who can work, I mean, that man can, he can fly. He can do so many things. He can work like a big man. That's okay. I understand a guy like that. But when you have a guy like, and I hate to say this because he's still new, but when you have a guy like Omos, who you can tell is still very much new, like how much how much do you think you're gonna get out of this guy? Like the guy really can't talk. The guy say moves around the ring okay. I'm not saying he's got the greatest footwork. I mean he moves around the ring better than the great Kali ever did. But outside of almost being big, what else is there to him? Dijakovic can go out there and get you a, a four to five star match. Almost We'll get you. We'll get you at best maybe a one and a half star. Well, you know what the problem is with almost yet, and and I've realized this in watching his matches. You can tell he doesn't feel fully safe with doing his moves at at super high impact, right? And the reason why I say that is where where it gives it away to me every time is his corner splashes, because if you notice, like a guy like Big Show, right? It literally when Big Show threw his body weight into you into the corner, right? It looked like he was throwing his whole weight into you, not pulling up, just bracing himself for you know the impact that he's about to be in. When almost is doing it, you can you can tell he's trying to make sure that he doesn't end up injuring someone, and it's coming at the expense of the performance, right? So I don't want to be too harsh on him, but I do 100% agree with everything that you said. Everything you said is a very fair criticism of his performances in there. I don't want to make it seem like you're being unfair, but I just want to say there are aspects of him, though, that gives me belief that he can reach that next level, and a lot of it has to do with his ability to move around at his size because to to kind of reinforce the point that you were talking about here, people, if we're just, and this is based off of a list off of a website called the Sportster, right? But it's basically, it's the, you know, tallest wrestlers in, uh, in wrestling history, right? You've got guys, and we'll just go through the list real quick. You got Kevin Nash, 6'9", Big John Studd, 6'10", Undertaker, 6'10", Kerrang, 6'11", The Big Show, 7 feet, Uncle Elmer, 7 feet, Kane, 7 feet, Great Kylie, 7'1", 
uh, Giant Silva, 7-2, Andre the Giant, 7-4, uh, Silo Sam, 7-4, uh, Giant Gonzalez, 7-6, and Paul Bunyan, 7-7. Out of all of those guys, right, th- that was a list of 14 guys. There was, what, three good workers in that list? Would you say, Let's Pearl, see. would you say that that's fair? Three good workers? Yeah, because, like I say, Andre, Andre, like I say, was a good worker. Mm-hmm. Uh Taker and Kane. You want to say Taker yeah. and Kane? And, and, and mind you, like say, and let's say anybody who hears this might be like, well, well, what about Nash? Nash is a Hall of Famer. Nash was a decent worker, let's say, but he wasn't, let's say, he was never able to put on a match the level of a Kane or Undertaker. And even still, like, and, and mind you, compared to Kane and Undertaker, who are his contemporaries, let's say, Andre the Giant, it was something completely different. Andre the Giant, came up at a time in the territories where you literally travel from town to town and he was an attraction. But guess what? Mm -hmm. Andre was still able to do things in the ring that still had people going like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy. What? This guy is huge, but he can do this and he can move around and he's fast. And granted, a lot of wrestling fans didn't get to see the older, the younger Andre. We all got exposed to him like in the 80s when he was becoming a little bit slower because, you know, like I say, because of gigantism where you know like say his body was you know wasn't able to really handle a lot of that stuff he was having health problems but we saw what andre could be if you look at those old tapes if you look at those old tapes think about the big show and andre had the exact same condition the only difference was there wasn't the surgery when the big show was coming when andre was was getting older let's say big show had the surgery years ago and Think about it. The man is what? Big Show's at least in his 50s now. I say he's in his 50s now. Andre didn't even make it that long. And, you know, one thing for, for those that don't understand what me and Sorella are trying to say. So, for as ginormous as the Big Show and Andre were, right? Those were both guys that in their prime of their athleticism, still had the ability to do top rope moves with high impact. So, yes, and Terrell, you you gave an excellent apt description of what majority of people got to see out of Andre, right, which was the big, hulking, brooding, massive-sized guy, right? But even at his height and, and almost at that weight, there was – you can go and look it up on YouTube now. There are clips of Andre jumping off the top ropes. This was something he could do. It's just as he got older, he could do. Uh, funny story for everyone who, for, for those that may not know this, I'm pretty sure you know this, Terrell. Um, when Big Show was at the power plant, WCW power plant, which was their training facility, for those that don't know, they had to stop him from doing a moonsault because Big Show in his repertoire, one of his main moves that he had was a moonsault. They had to stop him because they were like, no, it's too much risk for a guy your size to get hurt. So there's a lot of extreme talent in some of these big guys, but that not all of them are workers. Like Kevin Nash is not a good worker. Because, and you know how you know this? Because name me a one-on-one Kevin Nash match that you're like, damn, that was the match of the night. You can't. Because he's not really a great worker. He's a great entertainer. But as far as an in-ring worker, no, he's not that.
Yeah, very true, very true. But uh, we'll, we'll 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 see what happens out of almost, and we'll see if WWE ever gets out of this mindset of big guys, whatever. But let's say that's down the road. But let's say they need they should have got out that mindset at WrestleMania thirty because when you have a guy like Daniel Bryan. As the world champion, that should have been the changing of the guard. Okay, we're going to get away from these big monsters, and we're going to go ahead and go with these guys. Because, like I say, some people may be like, well, what about a guy like Roman Reigns? Hey, guess what? Roman Reigns is at best like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, okay? He's not a hulking, brooding guy. You look at him next to most guys, he's he's not looking down on most of them unless they're Rey Mysterio. Hmm. But giving Roman Reigns something, too, by the way. He is only 6'3". Oh, okay. So he's six three. So, be- so at best, so he's six three. So pretty much, he's not a big hulking guy. Okay. Mm-mm. No. Yes, he's going to tower over somebody that's like, like, like I said, like Rey Mysterio, but he's also not. But he can also move around the ring. We've seen him do impressive things multiple times. So. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest about it. Let's say there's a thing between big and hulking, and yes, okay, this person's taller and they've got a good body frame. And for Can those wondering, work. almost is a legit seven three. That like he's legitimately seven three. He's not like one of these like WWE. We're pretending he's a certain size and he's not right. No, no, he's legit seven three. Ah, uh, yes, the pretending that they're seven foot when they're actually like six nine. Kevin Ash. Yep. <laughs> Scott Hall. <laughs> they, never, they, they never built yes, Scott they Hall. Did. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. But, it said Scott Hall was 6'11", or he was 6'10". That's right. Because <laughs> he was always a little bit smaller than Nash. <laughs> hey. Hey, Scott Hall said it best. Hey, when the big man... And the medium-sized man. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. But the funny thing is, it's like I say, if you look at the the entirety of that click group of of, of the click, Scott Hall was the second tallest of all of them. Mm-hmm. Like he was literally the second tallest because I think it went Nash Hall, Triple H. Sean and then uh X Pac. That's I think that's how the how the height difference went within the click. And Sean was the leader of the group. So the second shortest guy was the leader of the group. <laughs> but hey, it's what it wherever it is. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for Inside the Cage. Jerome, you know what to do. Drop the socials. At J Span the Man everywhere. You are, you guys already know, see my pretty face, or you can see the ITC logo. And for those wondering, um, ITC Sports Ball will be back next week. We are going to wrap, uh, wrap up with our division breakdowns. We're also going to give you uh, some more, some more hot, 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 hot takes, including our coverage of Messi leaving Barcelona for PSG. All right. And then well, wait, also, one other, one other, one other, one other, sorry, sorry, I didn't really, I didn't really do you like that. Um, one other thing, people, be on the verge of a lookout. Uh, within the next couple of weeks, 
you should be hearing an improved quality to the uh, audio of Inside the Cage. And we will also be adding in soon, hopefully around that exact same time, we'll be adding in a video of the show. It'll be a video podcast. We'll be posting that via YouTube and all other major um, video streaming services that we can get it on. It'll be there. We're just trying to do more and add more for our, our listeners and everything. And so I know some of you guys were used to seeing our pretty faces, but now you will see our pretty faces even more. But yes, be on the verge of looking out for that. That should be coming within the next month or two here, the video part of that for sure. Can I, can I, can I finish now? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Also, you can find me at T Campbell underscore ITC on Instagram and the real Trey Camp on Twitter. That's right. I told you, you want to find me? Hey, you know how to find me. Also, you can can go ahead and follow the Inside the Cage Instagram at Inside the Cage. And that's Inside with two eyes. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for giving us your time, giving us your ear. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, find us on Spotify. Google and Apple Podcasts. I'm Terrell Campbell. I am your man, Jerome Spam. And thank you for being locked inside the cage. Scott Hall is only 6'5? Guess so. 